Welcome, I'm Craig Fuller. I'm here with Rachel Premack of Insider, formerly known as Business Insider, but now we know it as Insider. Rachel, since I've known you, you started out in the trucking beat a couple of years ago. You've gone on to do broader scandals and broader investigative journalism, but occasionally you get to dabble back in your first love, which is trucking. And that's why we're, we're here to talk about freight uh, today. So well, welcome back to this freight conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So a lot has changed, but yet is the same uh, in the trucking industry. It, it always it's funny because when we talk about driver issues, uh, insurance, fuel, cost of equipment, regulations. I went. I have this subscription to newspapers.com, which is basically an archive of newspapers from you know even as far back to the 1800s. And if you read some of these articles in the 1940s, the 1950s, and 1960s you very well could change the date and change a little bit of the sort of current affairs, if you will, but it would largely sound the same in terms of the trucking issues. They just all have always been driver issues. There've always been regulation concerns. Uh, since you've been in this, has really anything changed from your perspective? That's a good question. I, you know, it's really, has anything changed? That is a good question. I think, you know, I've only been, dabbling in the trucking industry for about three and a half years and of course I'm not actually in the industry I'm reporting on it so I'm not as I'm still like a newbie in terms of people like yourself who have been literally in the industry since you were born um so I think probably I mean just speaking from a journalistic perspective I think the thing that's changed the most is that there is kind of this movement it's very small still but there is kind of this movement against talking about the truck driver shortage I feel like I do see more mainstream outlets saying like, okay, this is something that large industry executives are saying, but, you know, we have to consider all these other factors. And I think that's kind of related to the fact that generally, I think outlets are trying to move away from talking about a labor shortage, especially in the past few months or this past year and try to think about more, oh, like, what are some of the other factors contributing to maybe why people don't want a $7 an hour job? a fast food locale or something like that. Um, so that's kind of the biggest change that I've noticed is just that there is kind of a growing mainstream media interest in the trucking industry. I don't know if it'll last past 2021 or early 2022, but it is interesting to see some journalists and some outlets kind of question like, why are like, wait, is it a shortage? Should we ask someone who's not the ATA? Like, should we interview someone else? So yeah, that's been that's been interesting to see. So Rachel, you've been uh, at it in this industry a couple for a couple of years. When you first started covering it, you were one of the only people in a major media outlet that was actually focused on trucking or able to cover the story, particularly from a driver's point of view. That's changed a bit, especially recently. What is the perception of coming from a major media outlet and writing about trucking? Yeah, so I, I would say for sure there's not really. Like there's still more people at Business Insider, for instance, covering healthcare or crypto or something, some things along those lines. That I think are a little bit more understandable or a little bit more, you know, prevalent in a New Yorker's life or a person who lives in DC's life or something along those lines. But there definitely is, you know, more growing interest. I'd say, like a few weeks ago, I was at a happy hour and someone mentioned that, like. Someone was like, oh, you're the person who like 
tweets about trucking or covers trucking or used to cover trucking. And I was like, yeah. And then everyone was talking about trucking like out of nowhere. And I think a few years ago, that definitely would have happened. It's more like, oh, why do you cover that? Or don't you know, like self-driving is coming tomorrow? That was usually like the main interest. But now there is more intrigue of like, oh, this is kind of the backbone. And this is kind of how everything is structured is like through trucking networks and through supply chain. Um, I'm not sure why it took so long for people to realize that's how things work, but you know, better late than never, I suppose. But I think definitely the supply chain crisis has really enlightened people on like the back end of things. And I'm not sure, I don't know. I'm not sure if we'll, if, if that will happen again, or if this is a trend that will like continue on. But I think that, you know, the Suez stuff earlier this year and everything going on is Christmas ruined this year. Um, that's been, that's definitely changed people's perspective. Which is no, people are now aware and seem to care to the degree they did before. And it's funny because like, I've been around this my whole life and I had a lot of friends that were outside of the freight industry who just didn't care or would say, how do you, how do you even have a business that does this every day? Like, oh, that's so boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would try to explain how cool it was and they just thought it was nuts and sort of nerdy and, and, and stuff, but now they're really interested in it. And um, it's, 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 it's actually fun. It's sort of our moment to shine as an industry. And I think we've done a really good job, not necessarily freightways, but really everybody uh, coming together to to really highlight what's happening in the industry and how effective our industry actually operates. And really, these are not supply chain driven problems in themselves. It's actually caused by so much demand and so much fragmentation. And I think people are now uh, broadly aware of it. A couple of weeks ago, or actually it's been a few months now since you, you and I caught up, sort of this broader conversation about uh, decriminalization of drugs and particularly about cannabis. You wrote a story that really set off some emotion inside the industry about cannabis deregulation and truck driving, uh, truck drivers uh, on whether or not the rules should be changed or how the company should approach this issue around cannabis. Can we dive into a lot a little bit of, on sort of what that story was about and sort of the blowback you got from the industry specifically as it relates to cannabis? Yeah, so that story, that was something that I was just thinking about writing for honestly like a few years, just kind of thinking back in my head like, oh, that would be interesting to write about what's like this new regulation, what it means, like how it will affect drivers. Because my understanding just from covering this industry, you know, kind of a often mentioned statistic is that 80% of all trucking accidents between a large truck and a passenger car, 80% of those accidents are caused by the passenger car. So to me, it seemed a little, seemed like slightly ineffective to attack the 20% of accidents caused by a truck driver. And then even a tinier fraction of that is actually caused by anything related to um drug use or anything along those lines so there is that side of things i i learned from the article just you know, pulling it up real quick i learned from the article that something like three percent of all no illegal drugs are caused for two percent of all truck passenger accidents which obviously we don't want any accidents but it seemed in my perspective like why don't we tackle 
brake problems or speeding or, you know, the roads being messed up. There, there seems like there would be larger targets than marijuana or any, or any sort of drug use. Um, and ultimately, with this regulation, most of the, the vast majority of drivers who have lost their license or have seen their license suspended is not for something like heroin or amphetamines or something that's, you know, uh, like objectively dangerous to drive on is a through marijuana, which I think, you know, a driver could have used marijuana 30 days ago, gotten tested, then he is, he or she is suspended. Um, and it's that law being introduced at the same time that many states are decriminalizing marijuana, um, making marijuana legal, making marijuana legal for medical purposes. I mean, in Utah, marijuana is now medically legal. Um, so it just, if we are, uh, if, if Utah is kind of like loosening some of the belts on these things, like it makes sense that, you know, maybe other industries shouldn't be like clamping down on, on marijuana. Um, so yeah, that was just something I'd been curious about. It wasn't really something that I think a lot of others were talking about, but I, when that new data came out saying that something like 80,000 positive drug tests were conducted, um and those drivers saw their licenses suspended it just seemed like something that needed to be looked into um and yeah I was very it, it was definitely one of the pieces I've written that's gotten the most responses um and that's saying a lot considering the ELD stuff and and you know a few other things I've written that I've been like a deluge of emails so um yeah this was definitely one of the most engaged with pieces both good and bad. The ATA uh, actually took an unusual step of responding to your and, and directly coming out and I don't know attacking is the right term, but having a very strongly worded statement that countered uh, your article. And they talked about how uh, they believe, believe that any use of drugs, uh, including marijuana, uh, is actually a big safety risk for the industry. Mm -hmm. I I mean, for right now, obviously, I would not advise any driver. They also mentioned that, like, I was giving bad business advice. I'm, I'm not giving well, business they, advice. They, they I don't think anyone yeah, some I, comment about you running a trucking company into the ground, yeah. or or because you had, yeah. in your article you had referenced that you were was it a big Rachel's trucking company? Yeah, it was kind of like a joke but whatever. Yeah, um, but they they said they're that your business is going to go under well you're a journalist right yeah i, so I don't run a trucking company but but yeah. the, the whole narrative was that basically the ata believes that decriminalization of drugs should not mean that the trucking industry should change its policies towards marijuana is it, that was at least what i read into it they got very defensive in this yeah, I mean, I think the core issue here is that you can't really, right now, you, there's no way to test for marijuana if you're, like, currently in deep, not inebriated, not the right word, if you're currently affected or high, basically. I'm trying to think of, like, a more formal word than high, but um, there's no way I to test. That, for I think everybody knows what that means, right? So <laughs> this is not a kid's show. This is, uh... <laughs> like, there's no way to test if you are currently under the influence, that's what I was looking for, under the influence of marijuana. Like, you, there's not, like, a breathalyzer or a urine test or something that can say, like, right now this person is is under the influence. 
obviously with alcohol, breathalyzer technologies have existed for, I think since like the 1950s, but for some reason it's much more challenging to test for marijuana. I think that's kind of the core issue is that like, for me personally, if someone's smoked a joint three days ago or the night before they went driving, there's not really a lot of scientific evidence that shows like that person's driving abilities and reaction times will be affected days later. I don't think that's something that any scientist or any kind of research has proven or suggested that that like that person's reaction time will be affected like days later or weeks later. Um, so I think if there was a way to test for that, that would probably make the issue different, but that's not really something that ATA really hit on. The other thing I've heard from drivers is that it's very frustrating that they can't use CBD when it comes to like pain relief or stress release or any anything along those lines. Um, CBD is like a non-THC hemp derivative that has the kind of like calming effects of marijuana, but without like this psychedelic kind of um, effects. And CBD is legal in many states. Um, I think in New York State, for instance, CBD is legal, but marijuana is not legal. Um, and yeah, it's, it's something that drivers I've spoken to have said like, oh, I have like certain pain relief issues. Um, I wish I could use CBD. That would really, you know, be a more healthy alternative than being, using these painkillers. Um, but they can't because CBD is also not, um, also not allowed. So I think, I, I think there's probably, I mean, marijuana is still highly stigmatized. And I think maybe if we kind of put aside some of that stigma, looked at the research, we could probably find a way that would be, find a way to like, you know, allow certain substances or re-examine certain substances. And that could be better for the driver population. It could be better for the companies who want to, you know, keep employees happy. I just think maybe stepping back from some of the stigma and just, kind of looking at everything with like a clear mind and um, trying to figure out just a better way to, you know, keep drivers, you know, pain-free, happy and healthy. Yeah. It strikes me that the whole cannabis conversation uh, ends up becoming such a focus where the bigger risk, frankly, is in the opioids and other stimulants that are far more dangerous, are far more addictive uh, I, I think you would have a hard time making a case that a driver who is addicted to an opioid has an opioid problem or addiction uh, should be behind the wheel. I don't think anybody would make that case. And it strikes me that the ATA and other industry uh, constituents would be better served by focusing on th those efforts, which they are, but really doubling down the conversation around uh opioids versus trying to get focused on this cannabis marijuana conversation because certainly a generation of drivers you know Rachel you're much younger than I am but even my generation uh we sort of live through decriminalization sort of you know we're we're now adults and we're seeing decriminalization sort of take place it strikes me that if you want to invite younger people that marijuana doesn't have that sort of historical legacy uh sort of purview and bias against it, where it, it may be more inviting if uh, it wasn't such a polarizing uh, uh, substance that, that the industry sort of hated on. I, it strikes me that, that that is a conversation that the industry is ultimately going to lose versus something that is really important, which is opioid addiction, which is a massively 
big problem here in the United States and around the world. And I think everyone would agree that we should not have drivers that are addicted to opioids behind the wheel because there is a significant risk there. Yeah, that that is, there is like a health epidemic like around the opioid crisis and that that has, you know, killed, it, it killed more Americans last year than any other year. And that's really, I think, a good place for the conversation to be. It doesn't look like the eight or the, Federal, the sorry, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration has found a lot of drivers with opioids, at least when they tested, um, according to like their data around uh, like positive drug tests, which is interesting and maybe for me a little surprising. Um, just you know, thinking about that there is this uh, opioid epidemic going on, and they haven't really found drivers who test positive for it um, to the degree as like looks like cocaine. Um, methamphetamine or like the top drugs beyond marijuana but yeah I mean going back to like the younger population idea I I, I remember like I was I was like a teenager when Mar- when Michigan where I grew up when they uh legalized marijuana for medical use and that was kind of like ooh, that's bad <laughs> like how dangerous <laughs> um but now I mean like I mean I, I think there has been such a huge jump in how we have seen and how like the legal system has seen marijuana in the past decade or so and I think it's a bit or a decade and a half or two decades and it definitely like it's kind of like a whiplash that I can imagine takes other industries or some people or some groups like a while to be like okay this is now the direction we're going in um and of course with trucking there is a major safety component that can't just and you know, it's one thing for an office worker to be using certain drugs. They're not operating an 80,000 pound vehicle that's interacting with however many people on the highway every every day. So it, it does make sense that the industry is like kind of taking its time to adopt the marijuana, I, these, these ideas around marijuana. But I think especially with the CBD stuff, it, it you do have to think like, what would be best for the drivers? What would be best to keep this population that does have really significant health risks, like as healthy as possible. And I think taking this hard line approach to to drugs that are major, like mostly marijuana, what's has been like the target here, um, taking that hard line approach I think seems to make sense like right now. Yeah, you know it's interesting because you talked about the FNCSA data didn't necessarily have high incidence of opioids. However, there have been other studies. Uh, particularly done by by private industry and companies in the Truck Alliance that talked about uh, opiate addiction and and looking at the difference between the urine test and urine analysis test as well uh, as the hair follicle testing. And there's a lot of evidence that supports hair follicle testing is far more accurate and has a far catches a lot of these drugs uh, in a far more accurate way. And it strikes me that the industry should be probably focused on pushing that agenda further than focusing on drugs that that are substances that probably are going to get decriminalized across the country. Because you do end up in this situation where the, in, the trucking industry has to recruit younger people to be drivers. It's just a fact. So like, unfortunately, the average age for truck drivers is getting older, but in order for us as an industry to thrive, we need to get younger people. And um, if if people were growing up in communities and in states where 
cannabis use is not frowned upon or judged, the chances of someone that uh, wants to take a trucking job that is not uh, has not participated in smoking cannabis is is very small. And so it just strikes me that that is something that the industry over time is going to have to delve with. And I know that companies are dealing with this issue and and having to, to be conflicted with it. But it strikes me that the energy needs to be away from cannabis and on other substances. I think we would all be better served if we would get rid of and really make a hardened effort to get rid of the substances, which do have a lot of evidence and show uh, a, a lot of safety risks. Yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement with you. It, seems, it makes sense to really drill down the drugs that are harming drivers, are harming populations, are putting, you know, our health at risk if a driver is using one of those drugs while driving or just using one of those drugs generally. They don't need, they should be in a facility. They should be, you know, seeking rehabilitation. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I think really drilling down on the drugs that are harming drivers and are is harming safety makes more sense than like this kind of like broad swath urinalysis test that mostly weeds out, uh, like uh, gets rid of um, you know marijuana smokers, which again, if a if a driver is under the influence of marijuana while they're driving, obviously that person should not have their license. But if a if a driver is using marijuana or CBD for you know in in lieu of like a can of beer or whatever kind of like alcoholic substance, like I I kind of struggle to see the argument of like why that is inherently worse or why that is inherently something that we cannot have on the roads because it's not it's not as if it's not as if we're testing drivers like have you ever drank alcohol in the past 30 days but that's essentially what a urinalysis does for marijuana well i, I mean i do think the industry obviously from an alcohol standpoint is taking a really strong i don't think there's anyone suggesting that however you make a really interesting point which is alcohol is a far more dangerous substance the evidence around what alcohol does to, uh, in terms of uh, judgment impairment, in terms of violence, in terms of aggressive behaviors versus marijuana, and longer-term effects, actually, the evidence is far greater in terms of the effects of what alcohol does to someone, the marijuana, yet we seem to, as a society, and this isn't a trucking problem, it is a problem that is born of generations that are older than you and I, is there's this really negative point of view and this view that marijuana is this really egregious drug makes you lazy and dull and unable to like think quickly and yeah i i think that's hard to and, and i got a lot of those emails from drivers saying like that exact argument and i think yeah i think i don't think it's unreasonable to think that after you know decades of this kind of like talk and like i mean you see the if you watch some of the documentaries or read some of the documentaries or read some of the evidence or stuff that sort of the history of marijuana criminalization is that there was a lot of information out there 50, 60, 70 years ago about how this drug was, was causing, you know, people to go murder and like it was making aggressiveness. Well, the evidence does not support that. There's never been any evidence that, uh, that this makes people violent, where I can tell you from my own personal uh, point of experiences uh, that alcohol does create a level of aggressiveness. I, I don't drink anymore, uh, probably because I, I did a little too much when I was younger. But, but having said that, 
it is a it is a substance that alcohol is a, is a substance that has there's so much evidence about uh, the dangers around it. And I'm not advocating that people that drink shouldn't uh, drive a truck. Period. I am advocating that people that are drinking should not be behind the wheel of a truck at the time. But I also agree with that in terms of marijuana. But I do think that a lot of the conversation should be around some of these more egregious drugs that are, there's far more evidence about the dangers behind them. Yeah, I mean, like, I think overall, you know, the federal government, the ATA, obviously the ATA is not in charge of creating these rules just to make clear, because that was something that some some mentioned in, in responses to me. But I think, you know, the federal government and other large... Yeah, this is not an ATA. The ATA was not in a good position. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make protect. that crystal clear that I don't believe that. I think they're trying to protect the industry's uh, brand, if you will. Uh, but I think, you know, it's interesting because we talk about the driver shortage, which you mentioned. Um, I think at times our industry has this... We are all aware of this brand image problem that the trucking industry has. And some of it's deserved, oftentimes it's not deserved. But I think one of the things that we have to have as an industry, at least among ourselves, is an honest conversation about the things that the reasons that people don't want to enter the trucking industry. And one of those is, uh, you know, we talked about driver wages, driver lifestyle in the past. We've talked about this particular issue. Ultimately, the industry, if we're going to recruit new people, we have to be honest with ourselves about the issues that are taking place. And um, marijuana and marijuana restrictions are something that the industry is going to have to address as decriminalization ends up in more states, which is inevitable that happens. When it happens is anyone's guess, but it is inevitably going to end up being decriminalized both at the state level and really at all levels. Yeah. And I think I think there's no clear answers. I don't think it's like, you know, the FMCSA, they're all idiots for not allowing this. It's like, it, it is a very challenging... Well, up until up until recently, and I, I don't even know the latest legislation. I don't follow marijuana or cannabis law that often. Uh, uh, but up until recently, it was a banned substance at the federal level. I don't know. I believe it still is. Okay, so it's banned. They did allow banking. I think banking services now. There's yeah. they have they have loosened the laws at the federal level. But I, you're right. I don't think they've actually de- completely decriminalized it. So it makes it makes sense, of course, that like this would this law would come into action when it's still illegal at a at the federal level um but yeah i'm i'm curious like interstate trucking like i assume i don't believe any truck drivers who can just drive like within one state are allowed to smoke but i think that's i mean a lot of them might even be hauling marijuana you know like in california or something they're having cases we covered a case uh, two years ago where drivers were hauling across state lines and ended up in a state that cannabis was illegal and they had crossed the state lines and those drivers ended up serving prison time because they were uh, uh, indicted for trafficking drugs across state lines because one state had classified it as an illegal substance. Uh, and the drivers weren't, uh, from what I understand, were not aware of uh, what they were hauling or, or didn't have all the details and ended up serving prison time. And they were just doing the, you know, taking a load. So 
It is an issue. It's not one that Rachel, you and I could ever solve. We can just talk about it. Yeah, that's all. That that's that's all my interest is. Kind of like, let's just talk about it. Let's not just be like, well, that's the law. Like, it, it is kind of it is interesting to kind of like dig into and decode. Um, which I mean, it's your job as a journalist, right, to bring these issues to bear, and it's it is funny because that's really the job of a media business is to, to bring awareness and start the conversation and get everyone thinking about it. Rachel, it is, it is awesome having you as a friend uh, to this industry uh, and uh, hope, I know you, because you're doing great work at Insider doing other stories outside of trucking, they keep moving you into these other uh, sort of more glamorous parts of the economy and businesses. Uh, but we hope that you don't, uh, we hope that you occasionally drop in a, and do a story on trucking. It's an important conversation. It's really fun to write about. And I don't know why more journalists don't do it. I mean, I mean, hey, it's more stories for me. But I think more journalists should write about this. Um, there's, It's just like a fascinating intersection between like, like literally every part of the economy. You can look at like class. You can look at like urban versus rural, like how those two kind of populations have split apart. You can look at like, you know, Shipping, obviously, you can look at retail, you can look at like Amazon, FedEx, UPS, kind of like those sort of battles. Like it's just kind of like a never, like if you want a topic and then you pick trucking, like you can always find some sort of overlap. Not always, but often you can. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll definitely still be writing when I can. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's great to, you know, be connected with you guys and connect with great waves and um, thanks for all the work you guys are doing to keep us all updated on the day to day. For sure. Well, Rachel, look, we unfortunately are out of time. There's so much more to get into. I do think we're going to start seeing more interest in journalists cover this topic. We've seen Joe Weisenthal and Tracy on Odd Lots, which thank you, by the way, you, you were the one that referred me over uh, that have started to cover it. The New York Times uh, this past weekend talked about how they now have a logistics beat. They didn't have one before. So it is, it is no longer a lonely beat uh, for main, major media, but hopefully we will have you back uh, and really appreciate uh, your commitment to this, these stories that are really important. Definitely. I mean, thank you so much for, you know, at Freight Waves, you know, keeping us updated on the day-to-day. -day. And um, yeah, there's, there's a ton of topics covered on this industry. And it's interesting to see more mainstream reporters get into it, but um, yeah, in the meantime, thank you for Great Waves to, for keeping us posted and, and for all the great work that you guys are doing. Thank you, Rachel. Don't forget, we've got a lot more coming up through the next couple of days. F3 Virtual is going to continue these conversations. And coming up in May, we're actually going to be back in person, hopefully. I think COVID's over with, but we're going to get back into person. We're going to Northwest Arkansas, sort of the epicenter of North American supply chain. If there is an epicenter, it takes place in Northwest Arkansas. So find out more information on that for uh, the Future of Supply Chain Festival in Northwest Arkansas.